One for Dr. Anthony. I had heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I had heard there was a report of a woman who received her first dose of Moderna and then delivered her baby before the second dose, and the baby had antibodies passing through the placenta. Yeah, that's so, true. That's true. Yeah, after the first after the first shot. Um, so let's make believe you get the first shot, and for some reason you just don't want to get the second one. Uh, you you are eighty five percent effect uh, protected. So your antibody response in the first shot, and I saw this because we were drawing blood on the people in 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 my practice and in in my clinics um, every two weeks after they got the first and the second shots to see what the antibody response was. Uh-huh. After the first shot, um, within two weeks, people mounted an antibody response. It wasn't it wasn't huge, but it was enough that it would protect you that if y- you did get exposed to this virus, that either you wouldn't get it or you'd be minimally symptomatic. After the first shot, though, the, the antibody response dropped very quickly. Um, now, because, again, it uh, they really didn't have the information you know, six months ago about what was going on with, you know, with vaccines and everything else. What they say now is that really the longer you wait for the second shot, the better off you are. So initially we were telling people within two to four weeks, but now they're saying if you, if you, you let it go for even longer, it's a, it's a better option. It doesn't matter. But after the second shot, um, what happens is two weeks after the antibody response is fairly robust. And then it trails off slower than it does after the first shot. So making you almost 95 to 100% protected. What we don't know is six months after what happens, which is right. why now they're contemplating, you know, giving booster shots. Booster. You're right. For, for the Johnson & Johnson and Moderna and Pfizer. So, you know, so we don't know yet. It's it's still up in the air and, you know, but yeah, for sure that if someone, you know, has the first shot, the baby's born, without a doubt, they're going to have antibodies. All right. Very helpful, Anthony. Thank you for that. Sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Very good. All right. So, here we are. Uh session nine and as you see on the screen we're going to we're narrowing down now and so we're uh talking about for the first time a specific ministry uh and you're going to see threads of everything we talked about from uh session one woven into subsequent sessions um and uh, let, let us just start with prayer so we can um, forget about everything we left behind, what we'll go back to, and as always, uh, be present to each other, be present to the course material, uh, praying for those who need prayer, uh, those who are ill, uh, certainly, uh, and those who have died. We keep all of that in mind as we come together tonight. And the prayer that I've chosen actually comes from a resource that we're going to discuss. Um, but it's a prayer for catechists. Because as you will learn tonight, we're all catechists from the bishop on down. So let us 
pray. God, our Father, you have called us into your service to help others to know you and to learn how to receive your infinite love. Give us the grace to know this love in our own lives so that we may bear witness to you and speak well of you. We ask this in the name of your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So before we get into our topic, just a few announcements. Um, the bad news is I didn't finish grading all of your integration papers because I was sick from the vaccine. <laughs> so I lost uh, some time. I started, but you'll have them back probably by um, before next class for sure. All right. I did a few of them, but thank you for that. And thank you for your patience. I, I, this is the first time I missed my week turnaround. That's uh, something that I like, but couldn't be helped because there's 10,000 other things going on as well. The second thing, and uh, I had planned to speak about it, but it came up as a question, is about the final exam. Let me just get my syllabus. Give me a moment. Um, just to give uh, a, re a little heads up and review of um, my expectations. Um, you do still have one more integration paper uh, that's due eventually. Um, when is it due? April 14th. Uh, yes, very good. Thank you. So then the final is due in May, May 5th. And we won't have class that night. Um, and I'm looking for the, okay, here we go. All right. I know that it's on your syllabus, here it is. Okay, so the final, um, assessment is a practicum. I did have it on your syllabus, didn't I? Or I did I just talk about it? No, it was on. It was on the syllabus. Yeah, I'm looking for it. Bear with me. Integration paper. I thought it was. I can't find it. All right. Let's see. Rating scale, theological reflection, integration, required text. Well, I don't see it, but I know I had it on here. The only thing that's there is just the, the date it's due, May 5th. I, yeah, I thought I had it in the body. I, I, I never saw it. Okay. Huh. Oh, no. here it is. It's yeah. under uh, the requirements and assessment. Um, attendance and class participation is 20%. Um, you know, just for being here, I'm giving you credit. Um, but keep in mind the participation. Um, I had mentioned in the beginning that this is a class that I want you engaged in. So I want to hear from more of you. 
And then you have your three page, your three, three page, three page. You hear that? Three page integration paper. Uh, I'm getting dissertations. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, that's okay. I'm, I'm teasing you. And then your final assessment um, is a written practicum, which basically is another word for project um, on a particular aspect of ministry. Let me elaborate on that, what I mean. I want you to choose something that you theoretically can do in your parish and perhaps will do. I had a student last year who did this assignment. He said, I'm not just gonna do something. He said, I'm gonna talk to my pastor and see what's needed. And I'm going to design something that we will actually do in the parish. So uh, I'll give you a, a simple example. Let's say that you are the head of the men's uh, prayer group in your parish. Um, and you are planning a retreat day for them. So the practicum that you're going to hand in is a detailed account from beginning to end of how you will plan it, not the retreat itself. Um, but for example, um, talking to your pastor, getting permission to do it, uh, reserving, setting a date, reserving a room. These are all practical things that you that a you need to know uh, when you're doing something like this. And then you, you set the time, invitations to who they'll go to, advertisement, bulletin, website, social media, whatever your parish uses or can use. Um, then you would give uh, what you would plan for the retreat. You invited a speaker. Okay, so do you need a budget for this? Um, are you going to give refreshments at this? And then what will the retreat look like? Uh, will it start at 9 a.m. in the morning with prayer uh, and then have um, a presentation and then maybe uh, lunch or light refreshments, another presentation, uh, prayer, etc. cetera. So, um, so that's what I'm looking for. Um, it, does that make sense? But it can be, that's just an example. It can be anything. You don't have a mission statement in your parish. You're going to make a plan. How am I going to facilitate um, uh, proposing uh, that we formulate a mission statement in our parish? So that I'm looking for practical things that you might do in a, in a parish. Or in some other, you know, like I'm thinking of uh, Bill, for example, who, um, you know, is working in communications. Something you might do for your staff, you know? Um, so be, um, I'm giving you a license here to be creative. And you could turn this in um, in a variety of ways. You could uh, turn it in with a PowerPoint, all right? You could do that. Let's say you're preparing
preparing a presentation for a group in your parish that um, and you so you could hand in your PowerPoint to me um, a video if you want you know of something you know be create I'm giving you license here to be creative or it can just be written um, in a narrative with bullet points but I want you to really think that if you were planning something an event that um, you really have to be strategic about it and not leave out anything. All right? Any questions on that? If it's in written form, Dr. Eschenauer, approximately how many pages would you be looking for? You know, it depends. This is uh, something where I really, uh, it really depends on what you're doing. So again, I'm giving you license here. Just want it to be complete. And whatever I want it to complete. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Good, Paul. Anybody so else? So it's it's who, what, who, what, where, when, why, and how. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's just showing me that as a leader, um, that you would know how to do this. Because believe it or not, in my ex I get this assignment because in my experience. There are leaders in parishes that don't know how to do this. And then things are a disaster from, you know, not having the room or the room was double booked or et cetera. Uh, not well, that's true. Yes, Chris. It's true. Does it need to be an event or could it be baptism or a wedding or no. uh, no. what, you know, at deacons, there's a lot we can do. It, um, that's a good question. Um, I've never had anybody ask that question. Um, well, there's a lot of planning around a wedding. There's a lot of planning around. No, stop. Yeah. Stop. Well, with the wedding, it depends. You know, who's the, if you're the person that meets with the couple. I don't know. Or, you know, the pre-cana person, you know, that's, um, that's, I would consider that a ministry and an event. You know, a ministerial event. You know, but not the actual, like as a deacon, you would uh, be uh, presiding at the wedding if it was a ceremony. Um, that's you, said, you just said things that we would do, so I wasn't sure if that meant yeah, yeah. Them the family for their baptism, meeting with them beforehand. And, you know, we had this conversation in, in um, uh, moral theology as well about um, how that all works. And, and so I just, I wasn't sure if it... Yeah, well, well, see here, and it depends on your parish. In some parishes, there's a person that meets, let's say you're having baptisms on Sunday, and there are six babies to be baptized, you know, at a Sunday liturgy or on a Saturday afternoon, whatever the case might be in your parish. The ideal is a Sunday. But anyway, that's for your liturgy class. <laughs> but... Um, so let's say that you are the person who is um, meeting with the parents and godparents. That would be something that you could do. Uh, how, uh, you know, how does that event, that's an event, an evening of um, catechetical instruction for these parents and godparents. So Chris, that would be something that would be appropriate, but not the baptism itself because that would be the liturgy. But the liturgical catechesis um, that com comes before 
if, if you could be, you could do that for your final. Make sense? Yes. Now somebody else had a question. Somebody else have a question? I did, but you answer it when you said. Oh, okay. Very good. I'm glad. Okay. All right. So, you know, along the way, um, you have time, you have a little over a month, but, and you have to do your third paper as well. Um, but, um, you know, along the way, if you have any questions, you save them for class or please feel free to send me an email anytime. Okay. We're good. Yes. It can be a, a social event also, like yeah. a, like a, I used a year before to do a, a, a marriage encounter for those who are married but not by the church, and we yes. we try to bring them to 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 the to the church with a social event. Is is that possible too? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Very good. Yes. Thank you. Okay. All right. So more, if you think of anything else uh, before class is over or after the break, we can we can uh, also discuss. Dr. Eschenauer? So, yes. Can I just make a quick comment? Absolutely. Um, uh, not to not to belabor the virus thing, but uh, oh, yeah. I, I was I was approved to uh, by the CDC uh, to perform rapid COVID testing, 15 minute tests to tell you positive, negative, infective or not infective. Uh -huh. um, and I just wanted to let I know Deacon Frank let everybody in the Deacon program know, but I wanted to let the guys in Bridgeport know. It, or the seminary, anyone in the seminary, that if they needed testing, I could do it for them free of charge. Um, it's a 15-minute test. It's very sensitive and specific. specific and uh -huh. um, I'd be happy to help anyone out if they need that. Uh, and if I were to bring this to um, Father Cleary, who's in charge of all this, where would uh, they have to go? They wouldn't have to go anywhere. I can come to them. The oh, the okay. a analyzer is portable, so okay. I bring it. To, I do it at my parish on Sundays and Tuesdays. Okay. All right. I will um, get, send an email on uh, to Father Cleary, and I'll copy you. And it's up to him. Yeah. Okay? No problem. Perfect. Thank you for that. Okay. All right. Okay. So are we ready for catechetical ministry? I think that uh, anybody that I, um, I teach a course on catechetical ministry as an elective and people sometimes are very surprised to hear what they hear. So fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> okay. Um, so the goal for tonight, and as I said, we're narrowing down. Everything so far has been more broad topics that really are the backdrop to every ministry. And uh, as you see on your syllabus, I've, I've selected uh, various, but not certainly not all ministries to talk about and to present to you in relationship to the vision of the church, okay? So the goal is to provide you with an overview of catechetical ministry. As I said, I teach this as a 14-week elective course. Um, so, so I'm really, it is really an overview of what I think is important for any 
parish minister or Catholic person to know this stuff, particularly anybody um, in ministry or will be in ministry. I'm gonna give you some recent history on this um, ministry and I will introduce you to documents um, that are that give the rationale for best practices for catechesis. And then in addition to that, um, I want you to, I'm gonna do a little thing about the language we use. This is really important. Um, uh, I made this, just as an aside, a little footnote, I made this comment on some of your papers. I'll give you an example. Eucharistic minister is not the proper language. It's extraordinary minister of holy communion. Language is important. Language gives meaning. So in relationship to catechetical ministry, I'm going to uh, give you some language and the, the theoretical meaning behind it and how we use it at times, particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, inappropriately. So for example, I'm going to uh, um, do a little something on the term religious education and what that really means in its broadest sense and then how we use it in the Roman Catholic Church. All right, so... Um, this is basically the outline of what we'll do, an overview, some history documents, and best practices. So feel free to ask questions or give comments. But before I get to that, um, we're on the cusp of a brand new document that just came out in July. And the prayer that I read is from, um, from the companion to that new document. But by way of introducing you to this, this overview, I pulled out two quotes from this book that's called The Companion to the Directory for Catechesis. And at the end of tonight, I'm going to introduce you to the actual directory that came out in 2020. It's a, it's a revision. But in the companion, which I just bought and I am devouring it, it says, you can be sure that if catechesis is done well in your local churches, everything else will be easier to do. And that's, they're quoting John Paul II in his exhortation on catechesis in our time, Catechesi Tridende, from 1979. Um, but I think that's a very interesting quote. And I read John Paul's document years ago and I didn't pick up on that line. You can be sure that if catechesis is done well in your local churches, everything else will be easier to do. You know, internalize that. That's amazing. And I think I would have to agree with John, St. John Paul II. Um, the other thing that the authors of this companion, and this companion, it's like a compendium uh, or a commentary, an explanation on the actual document. They say catechesis anchors us in the central truths we need to know 
and understand in order to live the Christian life. This is the line that I want you all to hear. It is therefore central to the church's pastoral ministry. That's important because I think that um, I think I'm assuming that when we hear catechetical ministry, we're thinking what we do for children, religious education or CCD. Wait till I talk about that a little later on for children. And I want to make the point here showing you uh, in this overview what the church's vision really is. But I think this is really interesting that it is central to the church's pastoral ministry. Because I think as you see, as you will see as we move forward, there's a catechetical element to all ministry. And that's what that line, to me, that's what it means. All right? Um, but more about that document toward the end of the session tonight. All right? Um, here's where I want to talk about a little bit about language and theory. Because the first problem that we have related to this ministry is language. And I don't mind sharing with you that I've had many a conversation with Father Kevin O'Reilly through nine years of working with him uh, on this very issue of the language we use. And um, a lot of our conversation, he was, wow, I didn't know that. And that's why it's so vital in our, in our seminary that for seminarians, non-seminarians alike, have uh, uh, sessions like this to understand it. So the first problem we have is with language. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, for example, we reduce the term religious education, okay? You've heard it all, our religious education program. And in a parish, that generally means grades one to eight, right? So, so in the Roman Catholic Church, we reduce this term, religious education, um, to mean catechesis with children, all right? And we've accepted that. But what I want to do, and just as graduate students, that you're aware of this, all right? Not that it will probably have any bearing on anything you're doing, but I think it's important to be aware um, that although we accept calling catechesis for children, religious education, it's not really accurate because the term religious education is actually a field, a field of study unto itself. And in my experience, Roman Catholics don't understand it, but Protestants do, all right? Um, so religious education in theory, technically, is a distinct field within the field of education, all right? That, um, that is established in universities and colleges. Uh, throughout the country uh, and throughout, uh, I would say, internationally. Um, people that I've met at conferences from other countries, they understand this more than uh, we do here. 
Um, but it's a distinct field within the field of education that engages theology. So in a sense, it's the same way we've heard about music education or art education in co as, co as college degrees, for example, all right? Um, so for example, my PhD from the School of Religion at Fordham University is a PhD in religious education. And my colleagues think I have a PhD in catechesis, but I don't. I have a PhD in education that engages theology. So I always have to qualify it. Um, so I like to just, um, I want you to note um, that this term, religious education, did not originate in the Roman Catholic Church. It originated as a field of study. And the Roman Catholic Church, after the Second Vatican Council, uh, borrowed it and uses it as a term that um, describes catechesis. But you see on the third bullet point, religious education is the broadest term. And catechesis, we could say theoretically, and a lot of um, theorists in this field would agree, that catechesis is a form of religious education. And in my own doctoral work, that's the stance I took. And that's the, um, that's the explanation that I gave, that catechesis is a form of religious education. All right, but we're not gonna hear this in our parishes. But as graduate students, deacon candidates, I want you to be aware, all right, make sense? So here, um, this little diagram that um, I attempted to draw for you uh, via PowerPoint, this is showing us what one particular theorist, Gabriel Moran, who ha happened to have been married to Maria Harris, who wrote the book that I quoted from in other uh, fashioning of people. Um, but he, um, is a religious education theorist, um, has taught at NYU for, just recently retired in the philosophy of education department, but mainly teaching about religious education on the graduate level. But in his writing, he looks at what he calls the two faces of religious education. And I love it, and I, I like to introduce people to it and I use it all the time. He says, religious education, number one, means to teach to be religious. And he says, that's catechesis as a form of religious education. And then he says, the second face is to teach religion. And that would be like in a school setting. So for example, you could go to NYU and study religion, and it has nothing to do with your faith or conversion or anything that we've talked about. It's just the study of religions, all right? So that's to teach religion. So the other side, which we're concerned with in this course, is to teach to be religious, and that is what we call catechesis. Catechesis is the word that all the documents 
I'm going to introduce you to tonight use. They do not use religious education. They do not use CCD. Uh, they use the term catechesis, um, which comes from, as you can see, uh, catechist, um, catechism, um, are all uh, roots from that word. But catechesis is technically the word we use in the Roman Catholic Church. Catechetical ministry, for example. Can I just ask a quick question, Dr. Ashton? You sure can. Um, I just want to make sure, when I, were, when I think of catechesis as bringing one in communion with Jesus, is that the same thing as to teach to be religious? Absolutely. And the same thing, right? Okay. Same thing. And we're, we're going to get into it because catechesis is Christocentric. And um, the documents will tell us that the goal of catechesis is to know Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. Okay. So, yeah, you're on the right track. Good. But that's what it means. It teaches us to be religious within our um, Roman Catholic Church and everything that has to uh, do with that. Okay. And you'll see, I'm going to flesh that out, what that means through the vision of the church, through the documents. Okay. That you may not even be aware exists. And if any, you get anything out of tonight's session, it's to be aware of these catechetical documents. So again, this is not a judgment, it's an observation. People don't read documents. And it is vitally important as ministers in the church to read documents, to know they exist, to have them on your shelf. So as a form of religious education, catechesis is Catholic or Christian religious education. That's another way that some writers uh, flesh it out. Or what I like to call, in fact, I call my electives that I teach uh, the educational ministry of the church. Because as you see, we're going to look at the word education and what that means. That when we talk about catechesis, it is educational ministry. All right, but we need to look at, we will shortly, uh, what education means. Because we think education, we think classroom and all of that. But we'll, we'll get on to that. All right? Okay, so. Um, so catechesis, all right? Um, it's interest. This is what it's about. It nurtures faith. Okay, it's nurturing. This, this is educational language. When you study education systematically, uh, it's very interesting the language they use, but one of them is nurture. So catechesis as educational ministry nurtures faith. It develops faith. In other words, it helps one's faith uh, grow or be nourished. It solidifies a religious identity, which is uh, one of the biggest complaints that I used to hear when I was in pastoral ministry is that nobody has a Catholic identity anymore. You know, our children don't have that. Our young people don't have that. Well, catechesis really does help us to, to uh, solidify that religious identity that we've, I used to tell parents, 
make sure your children know that they are baptized in the Catholic Church, that their parish is the parish of St. Agnes. You know, give them that identity that this is the church we go to and we belong to. This is our parish community. Give them that identity. We have to teach it because it's not something in our secular world that comes naturally. There was a time uh, way back when, some, we're probably all too young even to remember this, but where everybody was Catholic and everybody on the block went to this church uh, and went to mass on Sunday. There was a strong Catholic identity. We don't find that in the time that we live in. So we, we need to teach it to those who are entrusted to our pastoral care. Catechesis builds up the church, all right? We have catechesis towards baptism, for example, as Chris was uh, mentioning before. Uh, catechesis uh, is to initiate into the church, whether it's through infant baptism or through the rite of Christian initiation of adults um, as well. But catechesis is involved in all of that. And as I mentioned before, and I have it here at the bottom of the screen, uh, highlighted in red, there's a catechetical dimension to all ministry. Whatever ministry you are involved in, all of these things, I would say um, it includes, okay? Nurturing faith, developing faith, um, solidifying that identity, um, building up the church, etc is part of everything that we do. So um, the other thing, and this is kind of involved with that whole language issue, uh, is to understand education in its broadest and deepest sense. And I put this here because um, I refer to catechesis as the educational ministry of the church. So we have to look at that word education and what it means in its deepest sense. Um, because we it gets domesticated, we, we reduce it to mean um, a teacher in a classroom with children or me here via Zoom with all of you out there. But um, as you can see on the bullet point, education includes, but it's not limited to the classroom. All right, education takes place in other settings. All right, technically education, as we're gonna learn to understand, it takes place when we're at liturgy, okay? Uh, liturgical catechesis, education toward the liturgy, from the liturgy, in the liturgy, and from the liturgy. So it's, it, it includes, but it's not limited to the classroom. This is important because catechesis and I teach this in my uh, class on the RCIA with the seminarians. I tell them that people are being catechized, all right, educated in faith when they go to the parish picnic, for example. All right? So that's important. In other words, as Maria Harris, her language is the activity, the curriculum, if you will, is everything that happens in the parish. Remember that? I brought that up a couple of times. That's what we're getting at here. 
And it, it also includes other forms of learning. And we'll look at that in a second. It's a nurturing activity that shapes people for living and dying. That's important. Um, for, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, my doctoral dissertation, I'm looking at it, the title is, now remember, my PhD is in education that engages theology, uh, and I use liturgy because liturgy was my specialization in my master's. So my uh, title is the Paschal Triduum, a Roman Catholic way of teaching how to live and how to die. So education, according to my thesis in that, in that work, is that it is the triduum is a nurturing activity that shapes people for living and dying. All right. Um, education is a process. That's important. That word is going to be important, especially uh, when we move on in this course. That leads toward a meaningful way of life. And it's ongoing. It never ends. It never ends. Um, it helps obtain good character, awareness, and inspires responsibility. So that's education in its broadest sense. Uh, because again, when we hear the word education, sometimes, and most people just think of school. So it's beyond school, beyond the classroom. All right. Um, education uh, is from the Latin, educare, E-R-E, meaning leading out or birthing into new life. Educare, A-R-E, to nurture that new life. So, Victoria, think of your midwife, all right? In one of my articles, I actually use the metaphor of a midwife, that the, mid, the midwife is giving birth to new life, and then, you know, then the parents are nurturing that new life, you see? Um, and that's really important. Um, really important in education that that's what it's about that we are bringing people to new life all right and here i have a quote from Dwayne hubner he was my doctoral director's director in columbia university back in the 70s uh and has written extensively on education and has used beautiful religious metaphors to describe secular education. But, uh, and I'm sorry it got cut off there, but one of my favorite quotes from him, uh, in fact, the book that this comes from is called The Lore of the Transcendent. And he really believes that education is, it, it brings about a transcendence. In other words, it takes us to higher levels, that's religious language. And so he says, education is openness to the future that is beyond all futures. This a leading toward what I am not. In and through education, ideas come into being. So I, what this means is that 
And it really, really hits the nail on the head, the importance of education, because it, it brings us to something that we may have never imagined we could do. Uh, learning does that for us. And I've said this to students, you've probably heard me say, with every course you take, you are beyond the place where you were a few months ago or a few years ago. And if you're involved with, let's say, teaching kids or young people or adults, with every course you take, you're going to be that much better at what you do for them and what you can teach them, you see? So education is that openness to the something more that we may have never imagined that we could be or something that we could ever do. So education is, is vitally important, but we have to remember that education is not limited to the classroom. It includes the classroom, but it's not limited. So here's just a few uh, resources uh, where some of this information is taken to from. Uh, these are two books um, showing how the act of teaching and the act of teaching reflecting on basic, on a basic human act. This book is brand new and it's the revision of this. And they're both written by Gabriel Moran, who I mentioned. This is like his 30th book that he's uh, written in his lifetime. But he uses this um, really interesting um, concept in his writing. He uses these life forms to describe education um, as beyond the classroom. And he uses family, then classroom. He uses job and leisure. And the, this is what he calls life forms. And he says that these forms exist in relationship to each other and family unites to community. Because in the family is where we first are educated. And that's the premise of this book, where he puts a mother and a baby. Because uh, I, I only just started to read this, but he is saying that this is the first human basic human act of teaching the mother with her baby so that's for you victoria you're going to be your baby's first teacher thank you <laughs> okay and that's the point he's getting at that we learn first in family and family then leads to and unites with community the neighborhood the parish community classroom is another form and that leads to knowledge. And then he goes on because he's looking at a lifespan here of education. And he talks about our jobs, our positions, that our jobs educate us. We're educated in and through our jobs. And so work is educative. I actually was on a dissertation committee two years ago where a, a doctoral student at Fordham wrote his dissertation on work, 
uh, the theology of work and work as education. It was fascinating. Um, and then this whole idea of leisure and wisdom. This goes with old age, perhaps, retirement, that we still are learning. And it's the whole idea of the, of the older people in our society have this wisdom, you see? So the leisure is united with um, wisdom. But he says that all of these forms are in relationship to each other and that each form is important during particular times of our lives, but each continue to be a part of the dynamic of our whole life. So for example, we might be here, you know, in our the leisure of our life, but family never leaves us, okay? Classroom never leaves us, it's still part of us. Uh, what we did in our jobs never leaves us, it's still part of us. So this is all he's describing as education that is just part of the dynamic of whole life and nourishes our vision for a lifetime. In other words, he says, when life is enriched, education takes place. That's very rich. And that's education at its deepest, in its deepest uh, meaning. And education is ongoing transformation. So, you know, as you're journeying through your, your education at St. Joseph's, think about that. Uh, journal about it, pray about it, how you have been transformed from the first day you took your first course, um, you know, with Father O'Neill. I think most of you all took that course. Uh, maybe not uh, Stephen Nyer, but um, I know he's had some other introductory courses. I he, yeah, he was awesome. He was oh, the. Oh, okay, very good. Oh, for Eastern uh, traditions, yeah. It was my Tuesday night. Oh, well, yes. very for, good. For for intro to theology, he was the best. Yeah, see, everybody is so fond of the him. The best. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that. So. Any Yes, go ahead. Can you please repeat the sentence, when life is enriched? Oh, sure, sure. When life is enriched, education takes place. All right. So, uh, Victoria, I hope you don't mind, but you are, as an expectant mother, you have a whole new form of education going on for the past eight months. You see? <sighs> yes. That's what Gabriel Moran is getting at here. This education in every, practically every facet of our lives teaches us, educates us. Uh, and that's what I want to get at here, that education is beyond the classroom. It includes, certainly as a teacher, I don't want to preclude the classroom. I love the classroom. Um, but if education takes place in other ways. So um, when life is enriched, education takes place, and education is about ongoing transformation. We are made new. We are nourished and nurtured through all of our learning activities. So ultimately, in his writing, 
Um, Gabriel Moran says that education is the shaping. You see how he was married to Maria Harris and she used fashioning uh, in her writing. He's using the same type of a word, shaping of life forms with end, meaning with meaning. You know, there's an end in view, meaning, and without end, meaning education never ends. There's no end to it. So education is the shaping of all these life forms from family to our later years, okay? That's very rich and you can spend 14 weeks on this, but I just wanna introduce you to it. Because as we talk about the educational ministry of the church, we gotta get beyond the classroom, okay? All right, you good? How we doing on time? Oh, we're good. All right, here's another resource. Uh, John Roberto, he's um, um, very big on adult um, learning and the concept of lifelong learning. I've heard him speak, he's done a lot of work. This is one of his books, Becoming a Church of Lifelong Learners. After the Second Vatican Council, as we move forward in a little while and look at the documents that came out of uh, that time, um, there was a broadened understanding of what educational ministry of the church should look like uh, because it was very narrowly looked at as um, religious education for children. And here in his work, he is talking about no, catechesis is lifelong. So here's uh, just a quote from this particular book. And he says that educational ministry is in the midst of a paradigm shift. We're still there. In other words, we're in the midst of renewal still with catechesis. Uh, every document that I've read from the 1971 on calls for renewal and catechesis. And quite frankly, I haven't seen it yet in most places, okay? And I say that because I was involved in catechetical ministry for over 20 years. But he says, the new paradigm shift is lifelong ecclesial faith formation centered in the events of church life, engaging people of all generations in parish intergenerational learning and nurturing faith at home throughout one's life cycle. He's basically saying this a little differently, okay? And the roots of this shift are in the early church, okay? So when we talked about, for example, Maria Harris taking what she called curriculum in the church, and she talked about a variety of things, liturgy, service, uh, proclamation of the word, but she goes back to Acts of the Apostles. So what we're talking about here, and, and you'll see that um, the vision of the church regarding catechesis or its educational ministry does go back to the, our roots in the early church. Okay, all right, so catechesis then is an educational process 
Notice I'm not using the word program. We're so, we overuse the word program in our, in our, in the Roman Catholic Church. Everything's a program. Process is more accurate. Process, programs have beginning and ends. Process is ongoing. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, catechesis is transmission of a way of life. That's really important. Okay? And the overarching framework for this process is evangelization. And we talked about evangelization before. You see, remember I said you're going to see threads of everything we talked about coming out each week as we look at individual uh, ministries. Okay? So, uh, before the break, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, what's a, you know, a bombshell. <laughs> I'm going to throw a bombshell. All right? The continued use of CCD, and you see I have a frown. All right? I've heard you use it. You've used it in your writing. I, it's rampant um, in many dioceses. And it is inappropriate language, and we have to work hard to get rid of it. Uh, I did it in Rockville Center. I worked uh, there, and I worked very hard to get rid of the use of CCD. And you'll understand why in a minute, I hope. Um, I'm going to give you some rationale for this, why we should not use this term. It's antiquated, and it has negative connotations. What most people, in my experience, don't even know what it means. But I have it there, the first bullet point. It means confraternity of Christian doctrine. And the bullet points, I'll give you a little bit more commentary, but the bullet points really have the main uh, points that I want to make. But the history of the CCD, the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, really predates Pius X, who actually revised it in 1905. Um, and we have to make a note that Pius X was a great catechetical pope. He was also known as a Eucharistic pope. Um, you may or may not know, you'll learn, uh, if you haven't taken liturgy, but he was the one who lowered the age for the reception of First Communion in 1910 to the age of reason, which is about seven. It used to be um, that it was uh, celebrated um, between like 12, 13, 14, prior to that. But he was, for our purposes, he was known as a great catechetical pope. He was very concerned with the educational ministry of the church. However, so he revived this. The CCD goes back to the 16th century with St. Charles Bermeo. And it was actually a lay movement. It was a form of Catholic action or in a missionary initiative that spread through primarily rural and poor areas where there was not good education going on in general. Um, so it was associated with the uh, 
be illiterate, okay? In 1934, it became a national organization in Washington, D.C., in the United States. And it's during this time bishops actually found it impossible to teach children if the adults were not interested. And that's something we need to take heart today. Their vision for catechesis was that it would be a community activity. And the CCD was a year-round total religious education program meant to foster values and identity. So it was a good thing in its time. It was a valuable thing in its time. And even then, there was friction with schools and in large dioceses. We had uh, two offices set up. We had a CCD and a school office. It was, and you'll see, or I'll make clear to you that with the renewal of what we have after the Second Vatican Council is to make catechesis the umbrella for no matter where anybody goes to school. It's a parish activity, whether somebody goes to the parochial school or not, catechesis is taking place. So in 1975, um, this National Center for Religious Education dash CCD, that's your fourth bullet point, was abolished. And what took over was the National Catholic Educational Association, the NCEA. Some of you might have heard about of that very vibrant um, organization. Um, and it's an organization that um, um, that deals with both Catholic education, meaning in parochial schools, and catechetical programs in our parish. Okay, so that's a little bit of history. And the point, not to belabor it, is that I want you to be aware that in our parishes, we should not be calling what we do catechetically CCD. And if you do in your parish, it's something that you need to bring to the attention of a pastor and write articles about it and train people. This is not the language. And I would say in New York, the uh, Office of Faith Formation would agree with that. But it's rampant everywhere. Um, it is. And it's, uh, see, the, this is the problem and why I bring it up, this whole idea of language. Language gives meaning to what we do. And what we are doing is not CCD, what I described to you. That's not what we're doing anymore. What we're doing is catechesis, which is formation in faith. It's different, okay? It's very different. So as, as graduate students, my point of bringing all this up we need to be aware of this. And we can't settle and say, well, we always called it CCD, so we're gonna let it be. No, if, if in your parish bulletin it says CCD, you gotta do something about it. It's the wrong language. It's the wrong language. All right, I think I made my point. <laughs> All right? Um, there's many interesting resources out there uh, that really give a more detailed history of this, but the bottom line is it's 
antiquated language and it no longer is um, describing what we are actually doing. And you'll see that hopefully by the end of uh, tonight. All right. So uh, let me see if there's just anything else I want to say about that before I move on. Does anybody have a question or a comment? You're all good? Okay. Or maybe. Yes, Victoria. When it comes to language, Dr. Eschenhauer, so let's say, I would say like I, I'm, I was a CCD teacher. So if now I, I would say I'm a catechesis teacher. You would say you're a catechist. Catechist, oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. You're, you're a catechist. Okay. Yeah. See, this, this is language. I think in a couple of your papers I corrected it. Somebody, I can't remember, uh, somebody said, you know, like I teach RCIA or an, I'm an RCIA teacher. No, you're not. That's not, that doesn't make, doesn't even make sense. Somebody can be a catechist for the RCIA process. All right, but if you teach, um, if you're teaching uh, religion, uh, in your parish community, you are a catechist. Yeah, you don't teach catechism or, yeah, that's not the right language. You're a catechist. And that's the language of all of these documents we're going to look at. Okay? And see, this is the problem. With all due respect, the, the folks that are the leaders of these ministries don't, many, most don't know this because they don't have the education behind them in most cases. And this um, wasn't the case 30 years ago. This is something relatively new that we are expecting volunteers to be coordinators of religious education or faith formation, CCD, whatever parishes are calling it. So there People are not educated in this, and this is a disservice to our church. We're settling for mediocrity here. This is what happened in the history of, and this could be a whole course, but in the history of religious education in the Protestant church, because the Protestants used the term religious education, Catholics only started to use it after the Second Vatican Council. But back around 1903, there was this thing in the Protestant church called Sunday school, and it was not good. And um, it was not effective, it wasn't done well. It was done by people who were uneducated. So what happened was the professional educators stepped in. And what evolved from that was what was called the religious education movement to unite education and religion, okay? So these educators, and a lot of them were from Columbia University in New York, and the religious people were from Union Theological, like across the street or down the block, and they got together, and they held conferences, and they improved the Sunday school, and the term director of religious education was born out of that 
movement that the director of religious education was a professional teacher of religion. You see, back in the day, Columbia University had a joint program with Union Theological that was teaching people to be educators of religion. You see, um, I'm not sure if that program exists anymore. I, I'm not really sure, but it, it's possible. But um, in our time today, in I don't know whether to say many or most, but a lot throughout the country, uh, and it's mostly due to economics, um, I will say, volunteers are expected to direct, coordinate catechetical programs. It is not the right thing. It's not the right thing. And it's not what the church calls for in these documents that we're, I'm gonna walk you through. Um, I'm being pretty hard here, and I, I can be because I, this uh, for so many years was my field, um, and now I teach it, um, but it's a mistake on the church's part. We need educated people to be directing our programs. Uh, in our parishes, or our children and our young people, our adults are suffering. And I've had the conversation, I used to work with, I've worked with five different bishops, and I would all hear them say, well, the kids don't know anything when they would go for confirmation. And I, one day at lunch, I basically said, well, Bishop, the problem is, you're absolutely right, but the problem is, is the people that are teaching and directing the programs don't know it. You, you need somebody who understands everything in here and has a theological background in order to uh, not only coordinate a program, but to be able to train catechists. And that's what these documents call for. I'm being hard, but I want you to know this as graduate students. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm a catechesis at our church and I'm teaching the confirmation kids. Okay. And what they want me to do, I'm not doing. They want me to put a CD in, watch the tape like TV, and they talk, and then answer like a couple multiple choice questions in the teacher's book. And I just threw it all out. And, and what I'm bringing to the table is the stuff that I'm learning in my, you know, in my studies. I'm, t I'm teaching them on a, on a very basic level. Uh -huh. you know, about the rosary, about yeah. the, the cross, stuff that they never really got. These guys are, you know, 12, 13, and they, they never did a rosary. Yeah. They, they, they don't even know what the stations of the cross are. I even bring up the Trinity, just on a light level, just to, so they're aware of things, but not with this CD that you put in there and they're watching TV and they don't even pay attention. Yeah. And then I go around and make sure everybody reads something and, and then uh, ask questions so they I know they're getting it. Excellent. Yeah. See, you're teaching, you're teaching them to be religious. Yeah, yeah. And I love, yeah. it. I love yeah. the, the, the informality, you know, it's, it's informal. I don't have a program. They, they give you a book that you're supposed to follow and everything. And it, I don't, I read the book and it's not, it's, it's not good enough. Yeah, they're the, then Bob in a minute. Uh, hold on. The, the books, uh, in my experience, I would always, in my training of catechists or, and I trained Catholic school teachers as well how to teach religion, I would say the books are guides. 
you, you need to be able to read between the lines and and you know go beyond it. Uh, and you but, have to know the students' level, what they haven't learned yet. Yeah. You can't just assume they know a lot of stuff. No, no. You're almost starting over every year. Yeah. yeah. You basically are. Uh, I taught for six, I finished up last year, I taught for six years. Uh-huh. I taught third, fourth, then four years of confirmation class. Right. And first first day of class, my first question, I would ask the students, is Jesus God? If the kids would say yes. So the ones that said yes, then why was he baptized? Oh, Mr. Levy, to get rid of his sins. <laughs> but the same uh -huh. thing, we used the chosen program with Father Mike Schmidt, and I believe it was chapter 11. I went back and reread it. The headline, and the, my DRE wanted to do the same thing. I got reprimanded because I wasn't, I wasn't using the, 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 I was teaching just like Jim. Chapter 11 with Father Mike Schmidt, nice guy. Why do we confess our sins to a priest? I went, I brought the DVD home, I played it, and I read the book. And mentions nothing about Jesus in the upper room breathing on the apostles to see the Holy, to, to forget his sins. So again, the basics, they don't know. But the problem is, a lot of the catechists in my parish, they're doing it, they're volunteers, but this way they don't have to pay for their own kids. They don't have to pay for, you know, for them to go through, which is not a reason to hand the faith on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they're probably not getting any training. No. Theological training. Right, they, which they, they, they went for the classes, but my wife and I were the only ones that, that went for the classes. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. Our, our DRE doesn't even have an education in religion. Has no. Yeah. She's just a volunteer. Yeah. Not the job. And sadly, it's the case. They just read. They just read to the kids. They don't explain them. They just take a book, read to them. Like Jim said, watch TV and we read to you. Exactly. It, it kills time. That's all. Yeah, they don't show them the fundamental. What they doing? How to get there? You just come in, spend an hour, read to them, and okay, I see you next week. And yeah. believe me, I get more out of it than they do because yes. I'm learning how to, you know, speak yes. without any, you know, rehearsal or anything. But yeah, like, I got really, it's really cool. I got reprimanded for talking to kids about hell, and I explained to the students that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So after that. I didn't talk to him about hell. I would, I would, I would grab one student and say, here, can you read number 1035 from the catechism? And number 1035 says, the church teaches that so, that those souls that die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell for all eternity because hell is a real place. And, and they're not going to learn it in liberal school down the street. No. And yeah, if they don't learn it now, they're never going to learn it. And yeah. Jim, you know what else is good? I would read them John Bosco's vision of hell. Dream. The first time I read it, it scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> if I were a DRE and I had Jim and Robert as my teachers, how am I supposed to have any kind of curriculum that I know my, my that my teachers are following? So I respectfully disagree with um, their takes on on teaching a class. Yeah, let let me uh, let me respond to that since I was a DRE. You have the problem is not with the curriculums it's the people teaching from day one that's the problem most of the curriculums out there are good and it's all the information that jim and bob are talking about is in them but from the time so by the 
if they're not being taught properly from the time they're in first grade and now they get to sixth, seventh, and eighth or whatever grade they're teaching, by then they should know. They should have heard about these things that they're talking about. They Technically, they should have learned about it at home. So there's another problem. There's a lot of problems. One of the, so the pet, John Roberto's um, idea that I brought up to you, you, it has to be intergenerational. You have to bring the parents in on this. You have to have parent education and teach the parents how to teach their children. And that's the weakest link. That's the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem, yes. Yes, there are no parents. The parents, the parents, for CCD, I switched parishes from, you know, one that was really like lower middle class to one that was higher middle class and the mm -hmm. issue is is that in both of those of those parishes the parents are not involved or engaged and that's the issue and it's unfortunate because the kids understand that and when they when when they understand that i had i you know and, and the saddest part is i had one kid that said when i asked them about um so do you guys, how many, how many, how many people in this class have gone to confession the past year? And a paucity of them raised their hands. How many of you have received communion in the past year? And most of them raised their hands. And I said to them, so do you understand that, that if you need to go to, when you go to, when you, when you receive communion, you need to go to confession and you need to go to church. And if you're not going to church, that's a problem. And one of the kids said to me, well, you know, um, I'm really sorry about that, but the problem is, is that my parents don't take me to come to church and I don't know what to do. And I thought, oh my God, that's a huge problem. Because if, it, if one kid is saying it, then the other ones also are having that problem. And that's a major issue. In, in our religion. Yeah. Um, um, I absolutely agree with that. And part of the process, all right, that we have in place, um, we should be including parents in this. And I know in the Archdiocese of New York, there is a push for what they call family catechesis. Uh, there was the student uh, at Fordham who did a study of it uh, uh, um, she did a lot of field work and statistics and studied uh, some key parishes and um, wrote her dissertation on it. I was a reader for her. And um, some of the, most of them weren't really effective because they, again, it all boiled down to who is directing them and training the people. All right. But what I want to say is two things and then I'll give you a break. The ideal is to include the parents, the ideal. I did it and I felt that in my pastoral work, I had very little contact with the kids. I had the contact with the parents because if we teach the parents why we go to mass, 
they will take their children to mass. But the parents need to know why do we go to mass, all right? So we had a whole parent education system that I developed in the parish where I work. The second thing is by way of a story related to what Anthony said. I would always teach a class every year, even though I was the director. I wanted to stay real, and I wanted to really know what the catechists I would tra was training were what they were undertaking. So I always took a class and all different age groups. And I had this little boy, fourth grade, and I would be talking about um, going to mass on Sunday. And he, kids are honest. He said, well, we don't go to mass. He said, my mother said, we don't have time. So I, all I said to him was, ask your mom to take you, okay? He had three brothers, I think, and I knew the mom. And I just said, ask your mom to take you. That's all. And I told him a story about my own son. Uh, my youngest son uh, loved the Yankees, loved baseball. My husband's a musician. I'm a theology teacher. We don't like sports. And we could care less about baseball. Uh, that's just honesty. So I've got this young kid who loves it passionate and he is asking to go to yankee stadium he's 10 years old and i'm saying oh we're never going we're not going to stadium. no and i would say no 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 he would always ask could we go to yankee stadium i want to go to a game i finally said to my husband we have to take him so i told this little boy i said my son has been asking me to go to yankee stadium he kept asking and I, we took them. So I said, you need to just go home and keep asking your mom and dad to bring you to church. Well, guess what? A couple of weeks later, I'm sitting in the church and guess who I see? Week after week, after week, after week, I see this family. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, and that's I, all I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's just a little tip and I learned it from my own son who wanted to go to Yankee Stadium and I didn't want to go to Yankee Stadium but I went. <laughs> did, you, did you take him to Yankee games week after week after week? No, we went once. <laughs> we went once. My husband and I went once. And my so husband stopped asking, right? Yeah, well he was satisfied and then by the time he was old enough to go alone with his friends he went week after week. But my husband, this is funny, when the game, when it started, you've all probably been to a game and you know, you don't even know when it starts. My husband was like, well, why isn't everybody quiet? And, and my son said, dad, it's not a concert. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm gonna be really hard on you, but I'm gonna be teaching you the resources that you're gonna know as the future leaders and current, some of you current leaders of our church. So it's almost 8.30. Uh, is 10 minutes enough? No? I gotta eat. <laughs> you gotta eat? All right, uh, 15. No, I'll see you back here at uh, 8.45 and we'll finish up. Thanks everybody. Okay, thank you. Stephen Mogante is just
those and the formation of the catechist it explains it in every one of these how it is it is really mandatory um because a catechist is a ministry a public ministry that is approved and commissioned by a bishop in a diocese and they need to be formed initially and ongoing every document on catechesis calls for it but it's not the reality that is the biggest problem the biggest problem so it goes from who's directing the program to who's training the catechists it's not about a warm body or anybody can do this it's it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be and it and um it was never meant to be that and then the other part of the program is to be creative enough to figure out how do you involve the parents without it being a burden. I learned that. I learned that when I was in pastoral work, that I knew I wanted to involve parents, but I didn't want it to be, quote unquote, a burden to them. So less is more in a sense, that I didn't require them to come every month for a session, but I, I designed a program around the liturgical year that they came initially in September, the beginning of the school year, but then they came back for an evening in Advent. Then they came back for an evening in Lent, and we did good adult catechesis. That the, so for example, you have parents of children who are preparing to receive their first communion. You gather the parents, and we did a meeting on reconciliation and a meeting on um, the Eucharist, and we invited the parents to look at what do these sacraments mean in your life, and we had them reflect on it, and we gave them good catechesis of what it means to celebrate the Sacrament of Reconciliation. That was part one. Part two, what does the Eucharist mean in your life? Because the bottom line is they, were, they wanted their children to celebrate these sacraments but we, in, the, in our most pastoral way, between me, the pastor, and the school principal, we had these parent education sessions that we helped the parents to look at their own lives of faith. And it was very successful. We worked for 20 years, 20 years plus on it. And it was very successful because my, my feeling was when you reach the parent, you don't worry about the child because the parent is going to reinforce it, reinforce it nourish it, nurture it, etc. But you have to, in our time, especially with the age groups of parents we're working at, they're, they're often called the lost generation that were in experimental times with catechesis. They didn't get good catechesis. So there's a lot of things that we need to, to teach them, but we have to find ways to invite them to come and um, not make it a burden to them. Uh, we, uh, we have to um, look, at the, look at our times of, you know, people, two parent working, that kind of thing. 
But I mean, I did it in, it was done in two parishes that I'm familiar with and I did it and it was really successful because it was done in, in it was the way it was done. Um, but as uh, we won't, if you were to read any one of these documents that I'm going to introduce you to, because I could spend 14 weeks on each one, but you would see, and people don't know this because of the lack of education on the part of catechetical people, adult education is supposed to be the center of catechetical ministry in a parish, not catechesis of children. Catechesis of children should exist, but adult catechesis is meant to be the center. How many of you have ever heard that? Nobody, right? Dean. Yeah. Question. Of course. Do the people in the catechetical department at 1011, do they understand this? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. But they don't enforce it. I, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. I, I have to, I'm being honest, I don't know. Uh, you know, I can only talk, um, I tell you what I do know, and I do know this. I know this stuff, and I know how it should be, and I know what the vision of the church is, and we need to get there. We need people like you all in this class to learn it, to know it, to be aware, and when you don't see it happening, you need to bring it to the, somebody's attention. So would you suggest as future deacons, we should purchase this latest copy for the director of catechesis? Absolutely. Okay. The 2020, I'm gonna talk about it. Okay. I'm gonna give you the background of it because there's continuity, but this, you see this, right? Thank you, Bob, you lead right into this. These three- I'll let, you, I'll, I'll let you finish, I'll be quiet. I'll let you finish teaching the class then. <laughs> um, these three directories that I'm gonna introduce you to, there's continuity um, and they all build on each other. And I don't have the one, there's one from 1971, which was the first one, but I didn't have a cop, I didn't put it up here. But anyway, this shows you that the church has uh, been in constant renewal. The fact 1997 to 2005, 2020, this is the newest one. And the I haven't even gotten through the whole thing yet because I'm studying it for the course that I do teach, that I use it as the textbook that I'll probably teach next summer. But this new one, 2020, this, your textbook, is the impetus behind it. They go hand in hand. So the vision, Pope Francis's vision presented here matches up with the vision there. Um, but it flows from and echoes everything that came before it. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of history behind it, but as future Catholics, leadership graduate students, leadership in the church, future deacons, whoever you are, Bill and Victoria as well, um, Stephen Nyer, uh, you should have a copy of this because we are all catechists. The bishop is a catechist. How many of you knew that? The bishop in the uh, in Archdiocese of New York, the cardinal, 
is the head catechist of the diocese. And my rights to be a catechist flows from that, that the Bishop of Rockville Center has commissioned me to be a catechist. You see, that's important. So uh, we can't take this lightly. This is the educational ministry of the church. And this is a thread that runs through everything that we do. Uh, this one, um, our hearts were burning within us. Did anybody ever hear of this? No, nobody has heard of this document. It's a short document, but this is, you. I can't really read it on the screen, it's too small, but this is the vision for adult faith formation in the United States. This document cannot be forgotten and left behind. It is profound and it takes you through the rationale and then it takes you through practical guide, God bless, of how, of how you make adult faith formation the center. Now, I'll give you a quick story about this pastorally, true story. In the parish, the last parish I worked in, we had a hired person on our pastoral staff who was the director of adult faith formation. When this document came out, uh, I can't remember if it was 1997 or 1998, I forget. We, everybody had a copy of it. The parish purchased it for us. So we all had a copy and she spent part of each staff meeting for the year um, educating us on this document and engaging us in conversation about it. Now, there's a line in that document and I don't have it in front of me, so I forget the paragraph number, that says, and I'm paraphrasing, that the most powerful place for catechesis to take place is the family. That line in that document led me to create my parent education program for first grade parents. Reading that one line in that book, it just struck a chord. I brought it to the pastor and he said, let's do it. So we had this dynamic, interesting program for all first grade parents as their children were entering into the catechetical um, program the parents came but as I said I didn't make it a burden they came four times during the whole year tops and they came out of that understanding number one why we go to mass on Sunday because I would tell them that our I would just say this program assumes mass on Sunday because it's the most important thing we do as Catholic Christians. So we had a session on the mass and it got them thinking, wow, this is why we go to mass. I want to be there, you know? Um, and we did several other things with them, but we were really, really creating an adult community that was catechized. Uh, these are two other documents. Uh, Renewing the vision is for um, youth and young adults and go and make disciples. So this is to make you aware of what's out there. 
Uh, I'm going to get more into the um, directories that you saw on the previous screen in a minute. I'm actually going to walk you through them. Hopefully, I think we'll have time. Um, I just wanted to, here's a, there's a, a book that a Liturgy Training Publications publishes that is one book with a lot of catechetical documents. I have it here on my shelf. But basically, I just want to show you, since 1971, post-Vatican II catechetical directories. And I'm going to give you the history of these in a minute. But here you'll see the 1971 general catechetical directories. General means it's from Rome, and it's for the whole world. Okay? Um, 1972, to teach as Jesus did. 1978 is sharing the light of faith that came out of the 1971 for use in the united states 1979 that i mentioned before was john paul ii's exhortation on catechesis in our time 1986 the challenge of adolescent catechesis there's a real specialty and I always admit, I'm not a youth minister. I'm not good with teenagers. I've taught them, but there's a real specialty to it. And there's a document that addresses it. And then 1990 adult catechesis in the Christian community are older documents. But as I said, there's a continuity. And then this constant renewal is why we have the revisions. Okay? Now, here, just taking you through, here's the 1997 general directory for the whole world. And it replaced the 1971, it updated it. Um, and the history of this document is in six international study weeks that took place prior to the Second Vatican Council. That's interesting uh, for people to know that in the, um, I think it was the late 50s uh, into the 60s, they had these international catechetical weeks where this ministry was discussed because what was uh, going on prior was um, a method called the catechism genre, which I have here. I have a catechism from 1929. I have the Baltimore catechisms that I grew up on till I was about in sixth grade from 1949 and 19, probably the 50s, 1962, because they were revised. But the point here is what was going on uh, with this genre came out of the Council of Trent. And all it was was question and answer, question and answer. And the thing was that in secular education, at this time, when these catechisms came out, that's how secular education, the methodology worked. But as we moved into the uh, late 50s and 60s, into the 70s, education started to change. So religious education had a change as well. So these international study weeks were to look at this um, to develop a new genre for catechesis. So they developed these directories 
that um, gave guidelines and principles that I'm going to show you in a moment. Um, okay. So, for example, here's the structure of the 1997 uh, General Directory for Catechesis. There's an introduction in five parts. So here it is, right here. Catechesis in the church's mission of evangelization. It's setting the context right there. That catechesis is in the church's mission that involves evangelization. It talks about the gospel message. I didn't, when I was in grammar school, and I was a little bit before Vatican II and then entered high school around the time of Vatican II, but I, we never learned scripture. It, it just wasn't part of, and now we're teaching sixth graders about the Old Testament. That's great. So, uh, and, uh, and the New Testament as well. The pedagogy of faith, those to be catechized, it's everybody, everybody. And they use the expression from womb to tomb, everybody. It's lifelong, as we said before. And then it talks about catechesis in a particular church, because as we saw from our study of congregations, every church is different. The culture is different, and we have to adapt how we're teaching, not what we're teaching, how we're teaching in our particular culture. Then in 2005, we have um, general cate uh, the general directory for catechesis replaces the 1971 sharing the light of faith. There is a concern that a vision of re that we need the vision and a renewal of catechesis to be emphasized further. And the purpose is to provide fundamental theological and pastoral principles drawn for the church's magisterium and apply them to pastoral activity. So this is the book that the directors need to internalize. When I was a director, in 2005, I worked in a parish. I studied that book. I took courses on that book so that I would know the vision of the church and that I could put those principles in motion to whatever, uh, whether it was sadly or a hard court or whatever, uh, whatever um, publication I would decide to use. It also gives you the criterion for choosing good um, publications, because there are some publications out there that are not good at all. Um, I've, I've done reviews on them, I've done rewrites on them for, for publishers, etc. So they offer guidelines. Uh, they set forth the nature, the purpose, the object, the tasks, the basic context, and methodologies for catechesis for our time. Okay? So, for example, what I showed you before, catechisms are content-orientated only. Directories are process-orientated. They are giving you a vision, and they are teaching those in charge the best methodologies of how to do this. Uh, using, for example, the Catechism of the Catholic Church as a resource. And all of the publications to be approved for use, uh, and bishops are supposed to keep an eye on what parishes are using. 
they must be in conformity with the catechism of the Catholic Church. So it's interesting to see. I'm not familiar with this chosen that you're looking at. Is it, is it on the list of um, publications in conformity with the catechism of the Catholic Church? Because if it's not, they're not supposed to be used. I don't think so. I, I love that show. Um, it's literally a show, but it's it was made, uh, it's not even fully Catholic, it's Christian. Um, uh, I love it and I recommend that show to older people or adults who are already in faith, but I don't uh -huh. think it's, I don't think it would be appropriate for teaching children. Uh, you're maybe talking that's... about Chosen, the book yeah. Chosen? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna look into it. It's very, <laughs> I love it and I do feel like it's Holy Spirit inspired. Yeah. But it's it's not meant for catechism, no, no. Okay. I don't think it's appropriate for confirmation. Right, you have to not for confirmation. What's well, tech, and this is just an aside, technically to prepare candidates for confirmation, we need to be reinforcing what their baptism means because confirmation strengthens baptism. So they have to understand what it means to live out their baptism. And that's how you prepare candidates for confirmation. You read right from the catechism. It's everything you need to in it. Yeah, exactly. They actually have chapters on it. Yes. You know, that's what, you, that's what I would teach them. Yeah. So there, there's books out there that are based on what the catechism says, but age appropriately. There, there are confirmation programs out there. But that, that's, that's, see, that's up to the director to know and understand this. And see, that we're getting at Chris's question, what is the root of the problem, the person running the program? Okay, so let me give you an overview of what you're going to find in these documents. Uh, this is the 2005 um, directory for use in the United States, National Directory for Catechesis. The picture was up before. And I'm just giving you what you would find in the table of contents, because uh, I want to make a point here. Um, you find, okay, an introduction, but then you have proclaiming the gospel in the United States. Now, if you were to go to Ireland, there's a national directory for use in Ireland. And somebody once gave me a copy and I lent it to somebody and never got it back. But anyway, it would be proclaiming the gospel in Ireland or in England or wherever you're from, in, in Mexico. Or every country needs to have their own that is based on the general or universal. Then there's catechesis within the church's mission of evangelization. Now we talked about evangelization and you know what that means, but that's the context for all catechesis. All right, it's all about evangelization. Um, this is our faith, this is the faith of the church. Then there's a beautiful chapter on divine and human methodology. And that goes along with how did Jesus teach? All you need to do is look at the story of the, uh, Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. How did he teach them, you know? Um, and then this is my favorite, and I have it here in red. Chapter five, catechesis in a worshiping community. Now, 
going down the line, I'm going to come back to this. You see catechesis for life in Christ, catechizing the people of God in diverse settings, because we are culturally diverse. Those who catechize, that's the catechist, and that talks about the formation of the catechist. Organizing catechetical ministry, it's right there. How do you do this? And then the resources. But this is the point I want to make where this book is concerned. There's 10 chapters. Number five, what is it? What's number five? In the worshiping community? Yeah. Now, why do you think it's number five? There's 10 chapters, and number five is catechesis in the worshiping community. What do you think that's saying, and why do I have it in red? Anybody want to take a guess? Dr. Schnauer? Yes. Is it saying that this is the central idea here is the, oh. Bravo. (laughs) Bravo, Stephen. I had to think long and hard about that. I know. Yes. Number five is about liturgical catechesis about the liturgy and it the bishops were very intent and i actually asked the bishop in my office the bishop came in one day this book had just came out and i said i have to ask you the middle chapter is about liturgy and being a liturgist i asked them was this intentional he said absolutely yes liturgy is the heart and the center of all catechesis. And that's the reason why when I had 300 parents in front of me, I said, this program assumes mass on Sunday because everything we are going to do is gonna flow from that. And that's exactly what the vision of the church is. And that's why it was chapter five. (laughs) Good for you, Stephen, you got a bonus. (laughs) Head of the class. Okay, so there's a lot in here that um, anybody, we all have to know this. Um, Now here, we're going back. I just want to take you back so you're aware that the church just didn't invent this. This is the history, those six international catechetical study weeks. All but one took place in the 1960s, all right? They went back as far as 56 and 59, and they formed the backdrop to the directories. I, when I was studying this, I read through all of the commentary from these international study weeks. It was brand new to me. I never heard of them and I'm reading them, but I knew the directories. And I said to myself, these sound like directories. And then I went back to class the following week. He said, you're exactly right because of this. The directories were written because of everything that happened in Germany, in Bangkok, in Africa, Manila, Colombia, and then finally in 1971, this International Catechetical Congress brought it all together in 1971, and we have the 1971 Universal Directory. So this is the newest one. Um, and I am still in the process of studying it. I mentioned it, I made quotes from it earlier. The first slide had some quotes from this. Um, it is in continuity from 1971. 
with everything that was said. We don't throw, this was Pope Benedict's big thing, that whole continuity issue, that we don't disregard what came before. We bring it forward and appropriate it for our time. In other words, renewal. We are always in the process of renewal. And so now, this is a universal document. It's for the whole world. The question, I did a, a series of webinars uh, this summer when it came out. Um, the question is, well, will a new um, United States directory come out? And the bishops said, not yet. We want the whole world to study this document absorb it, integrate it, and work with it. And then eventually down the line, each country, as is the, pro uh, as is the process, each country then formulates its own uh, document for their country. But right now, uh, this would be the latest. Uh, and as I said, um, uh, you'll see a lot of Pope Francis, the joy of the gospel. So this is, um, uh, you see in the preface here, um, it says this directory for catechesis is situated in dynamic continuity with the two that preceded it. Okay, 1971 and 1997. Because the 2005 was for the United States. And then paragraph five says the criterion that guided the composition of this directory for catechesis is found in the desire to explore the role of catechesis in the dynamic of evangelization. Um, so you can see in 1971, I think, um, really made a big connection with evangelization. Um, and this is picking up on it and also on the new evangelization meaning that we need new and different ways uh, because people have, you know, fallen away, etc. cetera. Uh, so here, uh, and again, I haven't gotten through the whole thing. I've only started to study it, but my colleagues um, in ministry across the country, I saw on social media and I would have to agree. I don't know if you can see my copy. Can you all see that? The, the, uh, somebody yeah. Somebody in California said, I think I have to highlight every sentence because it's all so good. And I'm finding myself doing the same thing. It's like I'm highlighting everything. You know, it's like everything is important here. You know, um, so the next time I teach my course, the educational ministry of the church, this will have to be the textbook where previously it was the 2005 national was the textbook, which I know like the back of my hand. So um, I have to wait a year at least uh, to give myself time to study before I can offer that course uh, as an elective in the summer. Um, here, let me check the time. Uh, here is, I have a rather long quote from it, but I thought it was really worthwhile. So it's on two slides for you. But it says, the new directory is fully aware of the need for the church's mission to be fully cognizant of what has changed in the world, in our cultures and in modern societies. 
And they specifically, I don't think it's in the quote, but it, they specifically talk about the digital world and globalization as two big changes, okay? Creating a missionary identity. Now, I highlight my emphasis because we talked about that in previous classes. Creating a missionary identity that proposes the contents of the faith in an authentic way is a challenge. Um, Bob and Jim were talking about teaching eighth graders. We sure better be authentic with eighth graders because they can see right through us. And we've, you know, we've got to be true witnesses to, to help them to uh, embrace this, you know? So, and it is a challenge. A missionary catechesis, I love that expression. And that's Pope Francis. Remember he said, we're missionary disciples? Well, here, this uh, directory is picking up his language. A missionary catechesis not only needs to relate church doctrine to the current problems and issues of concrete persons, but also needs to communicate the faith effectively. This is um, where it comes in, yes. Do we need to teach doctrine? Absolutely. But we need to be able to teach that doctrine to uh, young people, old people, teenagers, little children, in a way that we can communicate it that will be relevant to their lives. It can't just be like in these catechisms, who made me, God made me, etc. When I grew up memorizing these questions and answers, as good as it was for its time, I knew answers to questions I didn't understand. We've got to make the connections. Remember, um, uh, I think we talked about it in this class, that that conversion is making the connections. Through all of our methods and our beautiful textbooks that are available, we have got to communicate it effectively, as the directory says. Let me finish the quote. Catechists have to learn. It's right there. Catechists have to learn in new ways. The missionary identity, since the supporting structures for the transmission of the faith are becoming weaker and weaker. I think you all said that, right? You all agree. It's weak. And this document is admitting to that. And it is saying that the catechists have to learn to be missionary, to have that missionary identity. So a catechist, it can't be just anybody. Just as a little practical note, when I was in pastoral ministry, I never, ever, ever made a, had a um, announcement from the uh, AMBO or a bulletin announcement, we need catechists. I didn't want to do that. I looked for them, I invited them. I think you'd be good at this. Will you consider it? Come and talk to me, come for training. Because it is a calling, it's a charism. Everybody cannot do this, okay? All right. Um, a mission-orientated scope is a spirituality rooted in one Peter that says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. All disciples and catechists 
are called to offer this defense with their words and actions and even with their lives. There's a lot packed into that, but the bottom line it's saying that anybody who is a catechist must be trained. And there's, there is um, a section in every one of these directories that talks about the training, the formation, I like the word formation better, of a catechist. And that means human, spiritual, pastoral, what am I leaving out? Intellectual. All of those, same as you're experiencing in the diaconate, and it's in priestly formation, it's for lay ministry as well. Because a catechist is somebody who's a catechist not for an hour. They're a catechist 24 hours a day. So when a student, if you're a catechist and a student sees you in the supermarket, you better be a witness to your faith. You see? That's what it means. It's a calling. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a call to a particular ministry. And some uh, are called to it, some are not. So it can't be just anybody, not a warm body. Somebody who is passionate about this and wants to learn and be diligent and wants to study. And, and I'm not saying they, a catechist has, a, has to have a master's degree, but we always had a catechist training program in our parish where um, if you wanted to be a catechist, you had initial training, and then once a month you came for ongoing training, and then every year you came back. You came back and you had ongoing reinforcement. Um, but it's really important. And so I think, Chris Greer, I think we're getting to a lot of the problems. There's a lot of problems. Um, that the only way we're going to solve them is to know the church's vision. And that's by, as Bob uh, said, should we have a copy of it? I say yes. You can get it on Amazon and have it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't have it. Free copy. Yeah. What's that? Huh? What's that? Robert, Robert was thinking about your free copy. Not oh, Rob, Robert's going to buy it to the class? <laughs> You can be on your doorstep tomorrow if you order tonight. I'm just yeah. kidding. You know I'm kidding. But I think you need to have it. Because this is, this is for everybody. Because as the point we brought up before, catechetical ministry is part of every ministry. Because there is an element of teaching and learning in everything you're doing. If you if you're, have a men's prayer group, if you have a scripture group, if you have a parent meeting, there's an element of catechesis in it. It's part of everything that we do. And to know these principles that the church is calling for will make a difference. Slowly but surely. But if nobody reads these books, every single one of them calls for renewal. And I'm waiting. It's like the, it's yet to happen. And it frustrates me, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I had a class, I taught, I teach this class, as I said, and I had, with all due respect, I had a group of people in the class, and some of them were coordinators of religious education, some were past directors, and they never heard of a directory. That, that's inexcusable. I can't, you know, 
It's, it's just unacceptable. You have to know the resources or else, as I said before, well-intentioned people are working very hard at the wrong thing. You have to know what you're doing before you can figure out how to do it. That makes sense. Questions, comments, thoughts. This is just, as I said, it's background. We could spend 14 weeks on this book. Make sense? You have, do you have, uh, are you either affirmed or have you learned something new about catechetical ministry? I learned a lot today. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff packed into this class. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking about making my final exam on this. What's that, Lucas? I'm thinking about making my final exam. Oh, good this. for you. All right, I like that. Yeah, something new for your parish, right? Very yeah, new. That, good. Good. Uh, somebody else was saying something. Who was that? Anybody? Dr. Eschenauer? Yes. As a deaconate formation, ah. why wouldn't we spend a semester on just this? Because once we launch out of this program, we all have families, we have jobs, we have had you know duties in the church already. Like, when am I going to find the time to actually, you know, dive into this, which seems to be so important? So I'm I'm kind of getting frustrated as I'm watching this, saying we should be spending an entire semester on this. So that you know what I mean? I do. I do. Think about two years ago, we didn't even have this course, John. We did a curriculum review and we were at least able to put this course in to get, or because two years ago, those who were they never had this course and never heard anything about this. So the directors, you know, I mean, I've been screaming for it for years, but um, the directors said we need something more, you know, pastoral. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So all I can do here is give you the introduction. It's like the Father O'Neill class. Gives you a little bit about a lot of things. That's all I can do for you here, but I hear you. You know? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Could, I, could you clarify something for me earlier? You said something I didn't get it in my notes fast enough. All right, there, uh, The difference between a directory. Oh, and a catechism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A catechism is content only. A directory gives process, principles. It's about the pro whole process of, um, of catechesis, what's involved. And I went through that one, like for, um, I went through the table of contents of the old one, but the new one, for example, I'll just quickly go through it because I know the time is running short. But, uh, and we're over. But anyway, um, catechesis in the church's mission of evangelization. So that's process. And then it has a whole chapter on revelation and its transmission. The identity of catechesis. That's that missionary identity. Then there's a whole chapter on the catechist. The, and listen to this. The first part of that chapter is the identity and vocation of the catechist. That's what I meant. Your people are called to this. 
the bishop as the first catechist, the priest in catechesis. A priest is catechizing every time he gives a homily, or deacon is. Then the next section is the deacon in catechesis. All right, then lay catechists, parents, active participants in catechesis. I'll leave you with this thought, and we can pick up on this next week when we talk about family ministry and ministry with adults, because that's catechesis. But as the director that worked with parents, I would always say, my job, how did, I'm just, I wanna get it right. My job is to work with you to help you form your children in faith, not to do it for you. You see, because every document that I listed says parents are the primary catechists of their children. Have you heard that before? You know, so, but we have to show them how to do it. And it's very rich. It's very rich. And I would tell them, my job is to help you to do this. You know? So, so Chris, thank you for saying that. But there are a, a lot of problems uh, that I hope in my lifetime I see get better. Because, um, you know, I've been working long and hard at this. And I've seen the problems. And in my... Where I worked, I was able to solve them to the best of my ability. But what I, what I see around me, I'm not seeing it. And I think that it boils down to a lack of education. And um, I'm kind of on a mission to help that. I'll just say one thing quickly as someone who works in a diocese. I, yes. think, I think some of this is structural, um, that somehow these positions have morphed where pastors are businessmen trying to solve economic issues and then there are lay people and business people who are taking over the pastoral roles um and it's that's 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 where a fix can start that has that shift has to start to happen and most of it's driven by economics that's really what's at the root of the issues that go on with 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 parishes right now well, and, um, and tough yeah. economic choices to be made about parish. Right. Very and difficult situation. Not easy, but it's not easy, and especially in our time. Uh, and that's the answer that I usually get: why a parish can't hire um, a director of religious education with a master's degree. You know, but um, keep this in mind: a budget is a theological statement. Yeah. Yep. Where is the money being spent? That's right. On education for everybody, that should be at the top of the list. And where is the time of a pastor being spent? I mean, I, I think that's a big problem. I know many pastors who are very frustrated by this. Well, that's why, remember, circles around the pastor. A yeah. pastor needs somebody who's an expert in this to do this. Yeah. See, in the, in the parishes that I worked in, we had that. Yeah that the pastor was always able to say to me, well, you're the expert here, what do we do? Because the pastor can't be an expert in everything. He right. has to have people around him that are experts. 
but that's the ideal that's the vision um but uh sadly it's not the reality uh particularly in the in catechesis yeah so you have people again uh, with all due respect working very hard at the wrong thing and it's going to perpetuate mediocrity that's the problem yeah so we got a lot of problems to solve everyone and that's why you're studying at St. Joseph Seminary so that little by little we can fix things that that's what we're called to do and we do it slowly perhaps we have to do it slowly but we the first, the goal here is to show you the vision that you understand it you internalize it because only then can you step in and say well maybe we can do this differently you see? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've kept you, oh my goodness, seven minutes late, but um, this was a big topic. And uh, I appreciate your attention and your comments. Um, I look forward to next week when we talk about family ministry, which is very much related uh, to this, but family ministry is very important and certainly uh, ministry with adults as well. So. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Have a wonderful week, and thank you for your attention. I know it's late. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Have a good night. Thank you. Dr. Eschenhauer? Yes? I went on a retreat in the Huntington Seminary. Recently? Mm-hmm. I saw what you did for